Hey there and welcome to Soul Church. Our prayer is that this message encourages you wherever you may be in life. You know, we've been hearing so many stories about what God is doing in people's lives and we'd love to hear yours. So take a second and send your story to stories at soulchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us today and we hope that you enjoy the message. God bless. Well, we're in for a treat today and uh, Steve's going to be bringing the word, but I want to really encourage you when it comes to the word of God, we are not spectators in this, we're participators. You know, when you go to a football game in the good old days, you can either choose just to sit there or you can choose to participate, which means cheer on and get behind it. You have a much better experience when you're part of it than just spectating it. And so I want to encourage you in the word today, let's cheer him on. You know, he's worked behind the scenes, toiling over this to, to really hear from God, hear from heaven. And this is a brilliant word that's going to help our church move forward in this season. So come on, I'm going to get you back on your feet one more time. This is like burpees in church. Okay, come on, let's back on our feet. Let's give Steve a huge welcome online in the chat. Thank you. As he brings the word. Thanks, mate. Wow. It's actually my honor to be here and get to speak to you. I want to thank Pastor John and Chantel. It is a privilege to be here. You are looking good. Thank you, Eli. Love an Aussie voice of encouragement. Last Monday, Rach and I were listening to a message from a guy called Robert Ferguson. You've heard him here online and He preached a message in Hillsong, Australia on Sunday night. We listened to it Monday. And Robert's been not only a friend, but a mentor to us for three years. And he started the message, and his very first line, just stay standing for a moment. His very first, we'll just keep mixing it up. If you're at home, you stand up as well. No, don't. You can be seated at home, but standing in the room, we'll just keep it mixed up. Robert preached this message, and when he said his first line, he said this, Jesus spoke to Zacchaeus in Luke 19, 9, said, Today, salvation has come to this house. Now, when he said it, he said it with such authority, I thought, man, that's a way to preach. But then I started to think about it. Do we, this morning, want to just go through another service in our living room or our kitchen or here? Or do we really believe that today salvation can come to this house? Today healing can come. Today life can come to this house, to your house. So come on, who's got a bit of faith there on the chat? Here in the room, why don't you lift your hands? Jesus, our hearts are opened. We ask that you would show us the wonderful, the amazing things that are in your word. We believe you. We believe your word, so would you speak to us in this service, in Jesus' name. And everyone through their masks said, Amen. Amen, amen. You can take your seats now. Hope you've got your notepad out, your Bible ready, because we're going to read Luke 19, verse 1 to 10. But let me give you the back story. Jesus is around 33 years of age, and he spent most of his life in the northern part of Israel, known as Galilee. He's grown up there, and at the age of 30, he starts to minister. And people start to get healed. People start to get saved. And he does these miracles, and the word gets around. Maybe he's the one. The one we've been waiting for. 
the Messiah. So when we pick up the story in Luke chapter 18, Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. The Bible's mentioned, well, Luke's gospel has mentioned Jerusalem nine times already. So as you read through Luke, you're thinking, wow, what's going to happen in Jerusalem? Something special, something significant. So Jesus starts this five-day journey, and there are thousands of people following him. How many know that's commitment? A five-day journey on foot. And they get to the last stop. They're only one day away, and it's place called Jericho. And they're thinking, wow, we're nearly there. This is going to be awesome. And as these thousands of people come into the outskirts of Jericho, there's a blind guy. And he hears the commotion. He says, what's going on? They say, Jesus is coming. And he starts to shout out, Jesus. And the crowd say, shut up. Don't you know how important this guy is? He's not interested in you. What does Jesus do? He says, bring him here. He speaks to the blind man and he heals the blind man. And the Bible says all the people, when they saw it, they started to give praise to God. Now, can you picture this? They're thinking, what? He just healed a blind guy. This is the Messiah. Man, he's going to, when we go to Rome, he's going to show them. He's going to kick them out, overthrow them. This is it. So expectation is rising. And this is where we pick up the story. Luke 19, verse 1. Still with me online? It says, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. The word Zacchaeus, does anyone know what it means online? Put it in the chat. It means this. It means righteous. So when you read this, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. It's not right. It's an oxymoron. The words don't go together. It's like Ipswich and Premier League. It just doesn't go together. It's like road worker. All right, they don't go together, those words. Sorry if you're a road worker. Zacchaeus, the righteous one, and a chief tax collector. Let me explain why. You see, when Rome came in and oppressed Israel, Rome appointed tax collectors. They were Israelis who would work for Rome. They would take money off their own people and give it to their Roman oppressors. That's bad enough. But Zacchaeus was apparently very good because he was the chief tax collector with a whole stack of people working for him. Not only that, but here's what he did. He didn't just take the Roman entitlement. He took a little bit extra to line his own pockets. Then he got all of his cronies to take a bit of extra and he creamed it off. And so as a result, he was very wealthy at the expense of the poor. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and he was rich. But with that wealth came a price tag. He is hated and despised by his own people. In a religion that prided itself on its racial and national purity, tax collectors were considered the lowest 
of the low. They were the despised outcasts alongside prostitutes. So as Zacchaeus sits in his booth, counting the coins of collaboration, he hears the crowd erupt into praise on the outskirts of the city. And he starts to hear this crowd come in to Jericho. And he's faced with a decision. He wants to know who Jesus is, but for him to step into the crowd is a risk. It could cost him his life. They find out he's a wealthy tax, the crowd could turn on him. But Zacchaeus takes that risk. Sometimes you've got to risk being unpopular with the crowd. It says verse 3, and he sought to see who Jesus was, but he couldn't. Because of the crowd, listen to this, for he was of short stature. In Greek, it's micros. Think about this. Zacchaeus is literally the righteous one who falls short. Is there anyone else in this building that's honest enough to say, I fall short? Anyone falls short as a husband? Anyone falls short as a wife? Anyone falls short as an Ipswich supporter? Anyone falls short in many areas of your life? How many of us know the right thing to do, but we don't do it? We fall short of our own standards. We fall short of God's standards. Good news if you've come to Soul Church, you want to find a bunch of people that fall short, you're in the right place. Because Romans 3, 23 says, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short. I'm captured by Kev's jumper. I mean, if you just stud that row up, I mean, you've got Kev, you've got Pete, you've got Sam Dake, Vicky, you're like a rose among thorns. But we've all fallen short. Every single one of us. Anyone else online honest enough to say we fall short, you little tinkers? Although successful on the outside, deep down Zacchaeus knows he's falling short. You've got to imagine this scene. Thousands of pilgrims coming, celebrating. Thousands start to line the streets and the two crowds emerge. And of all of the thousands of people, there's Zacchaeus, the righteous one who falls short. What do you do when you're coming up short? Are you ready for this? God's got a tree. Thank God there's a tree for those who fall short. Thank God that if you're not living a righteous life, there's a tree. God put it there for you. If you want to see Jesus, thank God for that tree. If you want to see how much he loves you, how much he cares for you, there is a tree. That tree plugs the gap between his righteousness and our failure. If you want to Bridge the gap between God's standards and in every area where you fall short. God has got a tree. He wasn't going to Jerusalem to lead a revolution in power. He was going to Jerusalem to die on a tree and show the world just how much 
He loves them. Come on, who's grateful that God's got a tree? Where do you meet Jesus? When you come to a tree. Zacchaeus climbs into the sycamore tree. Those two crowds converge. Revolution and insurrection fill the air. I mean, imagine if this was one of our great leaders. I mean, imagine someone like Tony Blair or Donald Trump. I mean, Donald would have had a field day with this. I mean, just imagine all these thousands of people. What would they have done? They'd have put a platform. They'd have got the best sound system. They would talk to the people about this is what we're going to do. But not Jesus. It says in verse 5, when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he saw Zacchaeus. Of all the thousands of people lining the streets, he sees the one, the tax-collecting collaborator, the oppressor and the outcast, the one that's so small in status, he has to ascend a sycamore tree to see Jesus. Friend, the moment you start looking for Jesus, you discover he's already looking for you. He sees you, my friend. He sees you. He looked up and he saw him. If you're taking notes, point number one, he sees you. He sees you. You may feel, feel this morning in this building like you're one in a crowd. You may feel online as if you're at home and nobody cares, nobody sees you, but Jesus sees you. Turn to the person next to you. Look them in the eye. And say, he sees you. He sees you. So number one, he sees you. And number two, whether you're in the building or online, he speaks to you. It says in verse five, when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus. He sees you and he speaks to you. What did Jesus say? Zacchaeus. He calls him by name. Zacchaeus thinks, what the heck? I've never met this guy. I've never seen him before. He not only sees me, he not only speaks to me, he knows me. What did we expect Jesus to say to Zacchaeus? What should the narrative have been? You idiot. What do you think you're doing? Don't you realize what a mess you've made of your life? I've given you all these gifts and talents. I made you a leader. Instead of using them to bless and help people, you're using them to oppress people so you can get rich at the expense of others. That's what we expect Jesus to say. To Zacchaeus, is anyone glad that Jesus didn't come to condemn us and judge us and point the finger at us of all the areas in our lives where we fall short? He starts with his name, Zacchaeus, righteous. Listen to me. He sees who you are, but he speaks 
to who you can be. He sees who you are now, but he speaks to who you can be in the future. Jesus isn't looking to punish you for your past. He's looking to catapult you into your future. He sees who you are, but he speaks to who you can be. One of my favorite scriptures in all the world, in all the Bible, it's probably more accurate, is Ephesians 2.10, Richard. It says we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared in advance. That's our word this year, in advance. When I read this story about Zacchaeus, I can't help seeing that at every step of the journey, how Zacchaeus must have realized, wow, he's already gone ahead of me. He's already in my future. Number one, he knows my name. Number two, he knows where I am. Number three, I like to think that 60 years earlier, Jesus had a bit of fun with this. I like to think he thought, right, that's the place. I'm going to meet Zacchaeus. I know what we'll do. We'll plant a tree. So he whispers in someone's ear and they plant a little sycamore tree. And he makes sure that no developers come in. He grows that tree. Why? Because he knows that there's a day when Zacchaeus is going to need that tree to climb up. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for all that he prepared in advance. He sees where you are now, friend, but he speaks to your future and your life will advance to the degree that you get in line with everything that he's already prepared for you to do in advance. Come on, if we're going to clap, we should really clap. He sees you. He speaks to you. And he stays with you. Jesus came to that place. He looked up and he saw him. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must stay at your house. Everyone say stay. Put it in the chat, stay. How stunning was the funeral, Prince Philip? I mean, come on, us Brits, we know how to throw a good funeral, don't we? We need to pray for the Queen. And I had the honor of meeting Prince Philip and the Queen at Sandringham. But I've discovered this in life. Seeing someone, getting to speak to someone is awesome. But it's another thing when they ask to stay in your house. Imagine if Prince Philip said, when I met him, when I spoke to him, imagine if he'd said, Steve, I'm going to come and stay at your house. Tell Rach to get the kettle on. Imagine that. I love that the Queen, when she referred to Prince Philip, she said, he's my constant. My stay. Friend, we're not talking about Prince Philip. 
We're talking about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who is saying to you, I don't just want to see you. I don't just want to speak to you. I want to come and stay at your house. I'll be your constant. I'll be your stay. I'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll see your garden. He'll see your kitchen. He'll see your living room. He'll see your bedroom. Because he sees you, he speaks to you, and he wants to stay with you. Isn't this the heart of the gospel? No matter what you've done, no matter how far you fall short, he sees you, he speaks to you, he wants to stay with you. And when Jesus came to that place, thank God for that place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down. Today I must stay at your house. That's what Jesus said. Make haste, come down. I'm going to stay at yours. What did Zacchaeus do? Verse 6. So he made haste and he came down and he received him. How many know it's not that hard? Just do what he says. He did exactly what Jesus asked him to do. One of the reasons... We don't step into all Jesus has for us is we only let him into the foyer. But Zacchaeus was so blown away. He received him joyfully. He said, I want you to come in. I want you to come into the foyer. I want you to come into my kitchen. I want you to come into every room in every part of my life. Jesus, I'm yours. He received him joyfully. He said, I've tried to do this life on my own. I've struggled and I've strived, but I've fallen short. I can't do this without you, Jesus. Would you come in? You can have it all. He's worthy of it all. And then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord. That's a big statement. Lord. He's saying, Jesus, I give you. Everything, every area of my life, I make you my Lord. And I give half of my goods to the poor. Sam Mooney, you would have loved Zacchaeus. Writes out a check to the Soul Foundation. Half of everything he owned. One conversation with Jesus. I give you all of that. And he says, if I've done anything wrong, Amen. Or I'm not just going to give back what I owe. I'm going to give fourfold. I owed some, someone 10 grand. There's 40. What a transformation. He's gone from an oppressor who's willing to squeeze every pound out of the poor to a generous benefactor that's putting others first. What a transformation. Robert Ferguson in his sermon, he quoted this from Selwyn Hughes. It's going to be on the screen. It's worth looking at. There's something in us that settles for an experience of God rather than an encounter with God. Well, that's worth reading again. There is something in us that settles for an experience of God rather than an encounter with God. When we come to his house 
When we come to Soul Church, we want you to have a great experience. We work really hard at it. We put the creme de la creme in the car park. They're awesome. We, we get the coffee brewing. We, we've got Jimmy Cowell making, making coffee. How good is that? We, we, we welcome you into a room that's, that's warm and we try and put amazing graphics. And Pastor John preaches every, almost every week amazing sermons in some really interesting shirts sometimes. It's fantastic. We love it. We put a lot of thought into making it a great experience. Great experiences only last a few moments. When we go to his house, it's a great experience. But when he comes to our house, it's a life-changing encounter. Yes, it is. It's not just about his house. It's about him coming to your house, into your house. He sees you. He speaks to you and he stays with you. Turn to the person next to you or write it on the chat. He sees you, he speaks to you, he stays with you. People often ask me about discipleship. They come up to me and they say, Steve, do you think we're making it too easy for people to become Christians in Soul Church? They say, surely it's more than a hand up at the end of a service. What do you think, Steve? Let me ask you, what do you think? Let me tell you what I think. I agree and I disagree. You see, discipleship starts with one decision. But discipleship is about a lifetime of decisions, isn't it, Dick? It starts with that first decision, but then it's the ongoing decision to allow him to come into every room of your house and your heart. Let's not treat Jesus like the Amazon man. He knocks at the door. You're really pleased to see him. And you ask him to step back, socially distance. And you're looking at what he's got for you. You're looking at how he wants to bless you. You're looking for that blender or whatever it is that you've ordered. That's what you're interested in. As soon as you've received him, you're happy that he's gone. Let's not treat Jesus like the Amazon man. He wants to come in to your house. He wants to come into every room of your life. He wants to speak. He wants to see. He wants to say. When I was 13, I made my first decision. I was in a tent at West Runton, my father-in-law. I wonder whether he regrets it, but he, he put a tent up and in that tent I got saved and married his daughter. I don't think he regrets it, but maybe he does. But that's where I made my first decision on Tuesday night of Whit Week, half term in May, 1988. It's the first time I made a decision for Jesus. He saw me, he spoke to me and I responded. I said yes. That's the first 
of many decisions. But how many know when you're 13 and Jesus comes in to your house, he sees stuff? Because you're a bit of a mess when you're a teenager, aren't you? Let's face it. He saw stuff. And one of the first things he saw was that I swore a lot. I mean, you know, I was brought up in the northeast of England. It was pretty rough. Even the dogs go around in pairs up there and, and just used to swear, drop the F-bomb all the time. And literally the first thing when he came into my house, he said, he saw the, what I did and he spoke to me. Jesus said, stop it. So I did. Thanks, Rod. I did. I was 13. And I just stopped. He sees. He speaks. He stays. And I remember driving home on the A47, trying to avoid all the tractors, ticked me off even then. I was only 13. Driving along the A47, I remember. He sees. And he spoke. He said, I want you to go to church all the time. Now, I didn't like church. I thought it was boring. I thought some of the people were weird. And they probably were. But he saw, he spoke, and I said yes. Every week I'm going to go to church. And he stayed with me. And by the way, when I made that decision, I've never had to make it again. I don't wake up on a Sunday and think, shall I go to church? I know I'm employed, but even before I was employed by a church, that's a decision I've made for life. I'm going to be in church every Sunday. Don't be one of those people who, yeah, I'll do it. And then it's once a month. It's once every three months. Like make a decision. He sees, he speaks, he stays. Then, then when I was 14, so I'm getting a really mature Christian now. <laughs> he comes in and he says, don't read the Bible much, do you? You love match of the day. You love Grandstand. Anyone remember Grandstand? Come on, on a Saturday, give me a wave. But he said, you don't read your Bible much, do you? He sees. He speaks. He made a decision. I'm going to start reading the Bible. 38 years later, I'm still reading the Bible. There's still things I don't understand, but there's a lot more things I do. And that's what I focus on. He sees. He stays, speaks, he stays. Now, when I was about 15, so I'm really maturing in the faith by now, Richard. Comes into my house one day. Says, Steve, I notice what your friends think is really important to you. They're starting to influence you at 15. He says, I want you to get with some of your mates on a Friday night, go to the church house and start to pray and encourage each other. We started a group at 15. Our church didn't even believe in groups, but we started one. See, he sees, he speaks. Again, I said, yep, I'll do it. And he stayed with me. For 38 years, I've been in a group. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you lead a group? Help others. He sees, he speaks. He says, I'll never forget the day in North Allerton Convention, age 16. Speaker preaches, tells a story at the end, says, give your life to Jesus, the whole of your life. And he came in, he said, Steve, you're not your own. I want you to give the rest of your life to serving me. He sees, he speaks. I said yes that day, and I meant it. 
I'll go wherever you want me to go. And he stayed with me. Now you're probably thinking, Steve, thanks for this. It's helpful. You're making yourself look like a legend. But what about all the times you stuffed up? Let me tell you, there have been lots of those too. I'll maybe get my, my wife up to come and tell you. No, there's lots. There's lots. But let me tell you about one as the team come. Because this was a big one for me. By now I'm 16. And I love, are you ready for this? Golf. I know that's a surprise. That's a shock to you all. And when I was 13, the council purchased some of my dad's wood and they built a golf course on it. Yes. So I started playing golf and I loved it. Have you ever realized in life you can start something which is really healthy, really innocent, but it can start to have you? And golf started to do that for me when I was 16. I first noticed when, you know, I hit a few bad shots and, you know, I'd throw my clubs, give me a little bit of air time. But then, <laughs> Rod, do you do it as well, Rod? Then one day I, one day I hit a really bad shot and I swore. I hadn't sworn for years. And then I remember I entered the club competition for the H.J. Stafford Rose Bowl. And it was on Saturday and I won, which meant I got entered for the club championship, but the club championship was on Sunday. So I entered the club championship and I did really well. And so they invited me to join the team and the next game was the following Sunday. And I'll never forget that Sunday. I was in the bathroom getting ready. See, he sees every room, every single room. There I am in the bathroom, washing my hands, getting ready to play golf on Sunday. He sees, and then he speaks. I said, which is it gonna be, Steve? I mean, I'm just holding the soap. He says, which is it gonna be? Is it going to be your dream for your life? To be a golfer, travel the world? Or is it going to be my plan for your life? It was a big moment for me. Sorry, it's not like a big sexual failure or anything, but for me, this was big. This was big. And I remember, washing my hands, I had a decision to make. And here was my decision. I literally, in the bathroom, I got on my knees. I said, Jesus, I'm yours. He sees. He speaks. He stays. Friend, I wonder if Jesus was to walk to your front room, to your bathroom, to your bedroom. What is he seeing? Those of you online, here's the crunch question. What is he saying? We've got these three questions up and I'm gonna finish with these three questions. Three questions I want you to ask yourself. What is Jesus seeing in your life right now? What is he speaking to you? to you, 
to you. Then lastly, are you allowing him to stay in every area? Let me tell you why the golf one was a big one for me. Because think about this for a second. Golf challenged three of the decisions I'd already made for Jesus. I'd already said yes to stopping swearing. And it was creeping back in. I'd already said yes to God's house the rest of my life. I'd started to walk away. My brother walked away. He's never walked back through sport. And number three, I'd committed to give my life to God. And golf was threatening everyone. Now that was my issue. We don't make a religious rule about golf. You've got to ask yourself, what does Jesus see in your life? What is he speaking to you about? And will you allow him to stay at the center? I'd like everyone to stand. The team are going to come. Isn't Jesus so beautiful? He's saying, today I must stay at your house. As you consider those three questions, I'm sure there's been challenges to you. We're going to sing this beautiful song one more time. You're worthy of it all. I'm going to invite you in your own way as we sing this song. Whatever he's seeing, whatever he's saying, would you give it to him? Because he truly is worthy of it all. And then Rachel, my wife, she's going to come and pray one last prayer. But come on, why don't you sing and you respond. God's presence, His power, His peace, His love in this room. And I'm sure you're feeling the same thing in the room that you're watching from online. Because God sees you. Jesus sees you in every row from the front to the back. He sees you in your living room. He sees you whenever you're watching this. And you know what? He sees you, He values you, He loves you, He sees when other people miss you. He sees you, but He wants to speak to the potential that you can be. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. And just as He reached out to Zacchaeus, He wants to come to your home today. And some of you may have been experiencing the room, experiencing the house, experiencing online, experiencing being here today, but it's time to encounter the living God in your home, in your heart, in your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, in your personal life that no one else sees. Yes, He sees. He's speaking to your heart right now. You might be here for the first time in the room today. You might have been coming for a long time over the course of this past year and watching online and you know your heart is thudding a little harder because and a little faster when Steve spoke, you know he's speaking to you and your situation. And lastly, he wants to stay with you. Whether you're a young person and you've got the whole of your life ahead, He wants to be with you in the decisions, in the highs and the lows. Whether you're an older person and you want to make these next years count, He wants to come in and be with you, give you forgiveness 
As Steve said, we've all fallen short, but God in His love sent His Son Jesus to become our sin, to take our sin and to take our guilt that we can have eternal life. And we can rest assured that today we can have peace. Could I ask that every head be bowed, every eye closed. He knows your name. Right now, He's speaking your name. And in this room or online, with no one else watching, I wanna extend the invitation. But also, I wanna ask you to extend your heart to invite Him in to your home. Invite Him into your heart. Maybe this is for the first time today. And in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand after three, I'm gonna count to three. And by raising your hand, you're saying, Rach, can you include me in this prayer? I'm gonna pray a simple prayer, inviting Him into your home, into your life. And maybe it's not the first time, maybe you've walked away from God and during this pandemic, you've become a little bit closed off and He's not Lord of every room in your house and you wanna make Him center again. And if that's you, He's reaching out to you right now. Today, salvation is coming to your home, completion, wholeness. If that's you after three, I'd love to know who I'm including in this prayer. In this room, and online, I'm gonna ask that you raise your hand in the room. One, this is your time. Today is the day to respond to Him. Two, three, put your hand up high enough and long enough for me to see, that's right. Thank you. Thank you over there. It's hard to see at the back. Thank you, sweetheart. Come on, let's keep applauding. There's still more raising their hands for the first time or you're coming back to Him over there. Thank you for raising your hand. And if online, you may not have raised your hand in your room, but you meant that with all of your heart. Join with us now as a big church family and pray this prayer. You might wanna put your hand on your heart. Mean it with all of your heart. Come on, let's say this after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank You for loving me. I thank You for dying for me. Right now, I ask you to come in. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me for going my way. Right now, I come back to you. I make you Lord of my life. With your help, I will serve you for the rest of my days. And I will live with you in heaven forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we applaud each and every one that have made that decision? Thank you, sweetheart. As Steve said, it's the first decision of many. And you prayed that prayer, you either raised your hand in the room or you might've been in the room and you didn't raise your hand, but you prayed that prayer and you meant it. Or maybe online, there's a, there's a text message you can, or you can jump online. There's some messages coming up on the screen and go onto our website because we would love to contact you. And um, we contact many people personally during the week and we wanna cheer you on in this decision you've made and encourage you in your next steps, in your next decision. But those 
those of you that are in the room, we would love to give you a Bible. It's our gift from our senior pastors to you to remind you of this day. Even if you already have a Bible, we'd love to put one in your hand. So our team, as you exit on my right, on your right, my left, they'll be waving these and they would love to just get your name and a couple of details so we can help be family to you. So first decision was putting your hand up or if you didn't, praying the prayer and next, go out and get yourself a Bible on the way out. Are you encouraged today? What a great message. Can we thank Steve for an incredible message? He sees you, he speaks to you, he's with you. I think we'll remember that for a long time. Thanks again for tuning in. And if you said the salvation prayer today, we'd love for you to email connecttofaith at soulchurch.com so we can talk to you a little bit more about this incredible decision that you've just made. Yeah, you know, and if at any point in the service you felt moved to give towards any of our local or global initiatives, then head to soulchurch.com and click on the giving at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us today. And we hope to see you again soon. God bless.